Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Hey, what the frack? You know, there's uh, there's some start and stop fracking going on in uh, our friends in Great Britain, United Britain. Fracking, which was started at a shell gas well near Blackpool. It's a, a seaside town, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, they've been fracking there. They started fracking there. They stopped. They started. They stopped. It stopped again after they started again. After the area was struck by guess what? That's right. The most powerful earthquake since operations began. The earthquakes are getting stronger. That's not a signal. 27 minor earthquakes have occurred near Quadrilla, that's the name of the energy company's site, since fracking started just two weeks ago. That's more, a lot more than one a day. This was a 1.1 magnitude tremor, the biggest so far, and the second to have crossed the regulatory threshold, which dictates that the operators stop fracking for a while. Anything greater than a 0.5 magnitude quake. Uh, requires them to stop injecting the water, which uh, disturbs, well, it fractures the rock. Quadrilla confirmed the event occurred while it was fracking. It said fracking would cease for 18 hours before it restarts. That gives the Earth time, doesn't it? I think that's all the Earth really asks. Knock it off for 18 hours, then go muck about again. And they line Cheyenne, oil field byproduct water. Mm-mm. It's now a resource instead of a waste. Wouldn't you love to just, bang, proclaim all waste a resource? Problem solved. Uh, that new resource may improve the livelihoods of farmers and ranchers. Encore Green and the Beneficial Use Water Alliance watered a, uh, a meadow, grazing grass, with cleaned byproduct water from the hydraulic fracturing process. This is in Cheyenne. Jeff Holder of the Beneficial Use Water Alliance and Melvin Nash, founder of Encore Green, used existing technology to develop a new method to clean the byproduct water. It contains some oil. Oh, sorry. They, as it comes to them, it contains some oil, as well as sand and other elements that make it unsuitable for use. Oh, those sound like nice elements. Invite them over sometime, darling. I think the uh, statistic is 71 billion gallons of water was essentially thrown away in 2017 in the state of Wyoming. Now, this fracking wastewater. Just 27 billion, uh, sorry, 20, 71 billion. We got that on us. The water is usually injected into an underground injection well to dispose of it. He says, we don't really know what we're putting back to the ground, and we're not 100% sure we know exactly where it's going. It's already becoming difficult for the regulators to see their way clear to keep doing this, unquote. With fracking, 36, 35 times the amount of water comes out of the ground as crude, crude oil. That's efficient. The oil companies generally have gallons of water to dispose of every day. Ranchers and farmers are desperate for water. So if the water can be cleaned and made usable, both parties win. Nash's idea is to use the same money oil companies would spend disposing of the water to clean it instead. Water is not only clean, it's clean to match exactly what the surrounding soil needs. 
customized for the soil. It's tested to see what elements it may need, and then the technology cleans out any elements that are not needed and leaves elements like nitrogen that the soil does need. They're cleaning the water through a process called thermal heat. doesn't say how much energy it takes to generate the thermal heat used to clean the water. No, it doesn't. It w if we can reuse the water from fracking, it will reduce the pressure from all of that groundwater because uh, much of Laramie County gets water from the Ogallala Aquifer, which has gone dry in some areas of Texas or, uh, and Oklahoma because we got all the water we need except it ain't there anymore. What the frack? Oh, and hey, another hey. Hey, hey 2.0. Whatever happened to the ozone hole? Remember that? Old timers will remember there was this thing above the Antarctic every year. It was growing bigger, and it was caused by uh, refrigerant at the time uh, that combined with stuff in the stratosphere or the other sphere uh, to poke a hole in um, the atmosphere or the stratosphere, the upper atmosphere. It was slightly above average size this year, according to uh, U.S. government scientists. Colder than average temperatures in the Antarctic. Huh. Stratosphere, that is, created ideal conditions for destroying ozone this year, but declining levels of ozone-depleting chemicals prevented the hole from being as large as it would have been 20 years ago. Chlorine levels in the Antarctic stratosphere have fallen about 11% from the peak year in 2000. This year's colder temperatures would have given us a much larger ozone hole if chlorine was still at the levels we saw back in 2000, says the uh, chief scientist for Earth scientists at NASA. The annual ozone hole reached an average area coverage of 8.83 million square miles, almost three times the size of the continental United States. That's this year, and that's good. Uh, last two years, warmer temperatures in September limited the formation of polar stratospheric clouds and slowed the ozone hole's growth. The current hole area is still large compared to the 1980s, Atmospheric levels of man-made ozone-depleting chemicals increased up to 2,000. Since then, they've slightly declined, but remain high enough to produce significant ozone loss. So, smaller hole, but still big. You're welcome. Hello, welcome to the show. Open up the window, see the AC, free from the grips of the humidity time to trade your shorts for jeans it's autumn in New Orleans just like the springtime without the bugs breezes is gentle as grandma's hugs streets start filling up Tourists and teens Autumn in Saints back playing Magnolia swaying Shaking off the last spring's beans Party time beginning Saints keep winning who knows where this thing leads? 
second line starts snaking up and down the street. Glove hands clapping to the dancing feet. Friday night fish fries, white limousines, autumn in New Orleans. From the aforementioned New Orleans, this is Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Deadline Tokyo, the Japan Medical Association and the Tokyo Medical Association, hey, they've gotten together and submitted a proposal to the Tokyo Organizing Committee for the Olympic Games to start marathon races for the 2020 events. 
at 5.30 in the morning. In a bid to deal with intense summer heat. The group suggested moving up the starting times for the marathon races 90 minutes earlier than originally planned based on a study indicating a high risk of heat stroke among athletes, audiences, and other attendees. Hopefully not Bob Costas. They also pointed out that starting the marathon events at 7 won't reduce the risk to participants' health. The study estimated that the uh, wet bulb globe temperature, pardon the expression, that's a heat index measured in Celsius degrees, used, uh, specifically used to set temperature at which heat stroke is likely to occur, will be at a severe warning level at most of the sections of the marathon course if the races start at 7 a.m. It'll be at a warning level, just a warning level, that's all, if the races start at 5.30. What about 2.30 in the morning? The hell, put up lights. Look at the results of the study. The associations worry about causing trouble to emergency medical systems in Tokyo as the number of calls for ambulances is expected to grow due to heat stroke at the games. An official of the Tokyo Medical Association said intense heat like this past summer could cause deaths during the games. Calgary, uh, Canada's Olympic Assessment Committee this week recommended the city scrap its bid for the 2026 Winter Games after a funding row with the Canadian government. Eh? The recommendation seeks to cancel the non-binding plebiscite middle of this month on whether to bid for the Olympics on the grounds that, quote, we do not have acceptable funding in place, according to one of the city council members. The clock has run out, and it's time to move on. Well, they fixed the clock the next day. They agreed to move forward with that non-binding plebiscite to decide if the city should submit a bid. Because uh, Tuesday night, the federal and provincial governments announced they'd reached an agreement to consider a proposal that would supply a couple billion, maybe three billion, to fund the games if the city agreed to sign on. They'd reached an agreement to consider a proposal, you see. That's all it took. And Tokyo, back there, the Metropolitan Government is struggling to recruit volunteer city guides for the 2020 Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games. number of applicants currently well short of the 30,000 they need. main job of a city volunteer is to offer help to tourists at airports and stations. That's different from games volunteers. That's proving more popular because it offers the chance to be... Near the games, you see. Number of applications for games volunteers eh, reached about 65% of the target. To encourage more people to volunteer to help produce something that's going to make a lot of money for Nike and Coke, as if that's not reason enough, that's not motivation enough, the local government has ramped up its advertising campaign. By emphasizing participation requires less of a time commitment than what's expected from games helpers. And they're facilitating applications by reducing the number of questions related to language proficiency. That'll fix it. Welcome to Tokyo. What? Oh, come on. It's a movement. We all need one. Every day. Say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Hey, guess where? That's my. That's hey 3.0 now. 
Uh, guess where microplastics have been found now? It, you know the children's book, Everybody Poops? Everybody's poop. Microplastics have been found in the human food chain as particles made of polypropylene, polyethylene terephthalate, one of the phthalates, and others. They were detected in human poop, according to research presented this week in Vienna. Vienna. Researchers from the Medical University of Vienna and the Environment Agency Austria monitored a group of participants from countries across the world, as Wolf Blitzer would say, around the world, Finland, Italy, Japan, the Netherlands, Poland, Russia, the U.K., and Austria. Results show that every single sample tested positive for the presence of microplastic and up to nine different plastic types were identified. So there won't be a plastic monoculture. We don't have to worry about that. Lots of variety in our poop plastic. Yes, we have put it everywhere. Now, I think that's official. I think we can agree on that. We, we can't agree on a lot, but we can agree on that. We've, we've succeeded if our goal was to fill the world with plastic. The uh, U.S. Missile Defense Project continues apace, ladies and gentlemen. A U.S.-Japanese interceptor successfully shot down a test ballistic missile over Hawaii. This is from LiveScience.com. It was the second ever success for the program, a stunning technological achievement, you see, because it destroys targets with sheer force rather than an explosive warhead. The interceptor's kill vehicle rams into a ballistic missile with the force of a 10-ton truck traveling 600 miles an hour. This is the second ever success, follows two public failures for the program during which the interceptors failed to hit their targets. So it's 50% success rate. Actually, uh, two failures and a third test failed to hit the target as well. One failed in June last year after a sailor accidentally triggered the missile's self-destruct feature. What's this button do? (laughs) Jeffrey Lewis, a nuclear expert and director of the East Asia Non-Proliferation Program at Monterey, notes this track record isn't particularly inspiring for a program tasked with protecting cities from nuclear attack. The task of hitting a nuclear missile that's shooting through space with an interceptor is clearly incredibly difficult. It's like a bullet shooting to hit a a bullet. Even uh, the low success rate, says Lewis, may make them look more capable than they may really be. In the real world, A nuclear attack probably wouldn't involve just one missile. It probably wouldn't occur in the ideal weather conditions during which the tests are scheduled. And it might come from an unexpected location or travel along an unexpected, that is to say not straight line, trajectory. It's unclear how an interceptor that has a 50% success rate during tests would perform in a real-world scenario like that. Live Science has reported previously that some experts believe efforts to expand U.S. missile defenses have triggered Russian investment in bizarre new forms of nuclear weapons designed to avoid such defenses. And again, let's, as we did in the 80s, premise all this on the hope that we'll drive the Russians bankrupt before we drive ourselves bankrupt. We can hope. And now, ladies and gentlemen, just let's uh, let's catch up on exactly what we're doing to uh, this place, this place where up to now 
It's been okay for us to live. Because we have dominion. 60% of animals with a backbone, fish, birds, amphibians, reptiles, and mammals, have been wiped out by human activity from 1970 to 2014, according to a study by the World Wildlife Fund. Unbridled consumption has decimated global wildlife, triggered a mass extinction, and exhausted Earth's capacity to accommodate humanity's expanding appetites, said the group. This reported by Agence France Press. From 1970 to 2014, 60% of all animals with a backbone were um, wiped out. The situation is really bad. It keeps getting worse, says the international director of the WWF. The only good news is that we know exactly what is happening, he says. For freshwater fauna, the uh, decline in population over the 44 years was 80%. Regionally, Latin America hit hardest, nearly 90% loss of wildlife over the same period. Another data set confirmed the depth of an unfolding mass extinction event, only the sixth in the last half billion years. Depending on which of Earth's life forms are included, the current rate of species loss is 100 to 1,000 times higher than only a few hundred years ago when people began to alter Earth's chemistry and crowd other creatures. Make way for man! Measured by weight or biomass, wild animals today account for only 4% of mammals on Earth, humans 36%, livestock 60%. 10,000 years ago, that ratio was most likely reversed. We had livestock 60 For corals, it may already be too late. Back-to-back marine heat waves have already wiped out up to half of the globe's shallow water reefs, which support a quarter of all marine life. They're looking at coral mortality of 70 to 90 percent, even if we manage to uh, meet our global warming targets. A two-degree uh, two centimeter world would be a death sentence, according to a major U.N. report last month. Half a century of conservation efforts have achieved some successes, Recoveries among tigers, manatees, grizzly bears, bluefin tuna, and bald eagles. But the onslaught of hunting, shrinking habitat, pollution, illegal trade, and climate change, all caused by humans, has been too much to overcome, says the uh, lead author. Scientists call it the Great Acceleration. It's the exponential growth over the last 50 years in the use of energy, water, timber, fish, food, fertilizer, pesticides, minerals, plastics, everything. A century ago, only 15% of Earth's surface was used to grow crops and livestock. Today, more than 77% of land, excluding Antarctica, and 87% of the ocean has been modified by the direct effects of us. All right. Almost complete in our dominion. Between 1993 and 2009, an area of wilderness larger than India was lost to human settlement, farming, mining, and other pressures, according to an article in Nature. In the ocean areas that are free of industrial fishing, pollution, and shipping are almost completely confined to the polar regions, where, if you ask me, they belong. Numerous studies reveal that Earth's remaining wilderness areas are increasingly important buffers against the effect of climate change and other human impacts. But so far, the contribution of intact ecosystems has not been an explicit target in any international policy framework. Maybe that's because we have no way of translating the dollar into dollar value, or euro value, if you like, the value of the services provided to us by an intact ecosystem. Although some estimates are that they 
total in the trillions. On a related subject, news of the warm. Come on, cheer up. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. The good news is it's all about us. A meticulous recreation of a three-decade-old study of birds on a mountainside in Peru has given scientists a rare chance to prove how the changing climate is pushing species out of the places they're adapted to. Surveys of more than 400 species of birds in 1985 and then last year found the populations of almost all had declined. As many as eight had disappeared completely. Nearly all had moved to higher elevations in what scientists call an escalator to extinction. Once you move up as, as high in altitude as you can go, there's no one else, nowhere else left, says the study author from the Cornell Laboratory of Ornithology. Some ridgetop bird populations on this mountainside in Peru were literally wiped out. Not certain whether the birds shifted ranges because of temperature changing or indirectly because of shifts in the ranges of the insects or seeds they feed on. This was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which, unlike the academies I belong to, is a real academy. Climate scientists have not been properly accounting for what plants do at night. <laughs> and uh, that, it turns out, is a mistake. It's always a mistake to ignore what creatures do at night. Take it from me. A new study from the Department of Energy's Berkeley, Lawrence Berkeley National Lab has found that plant nutrient uptake in the absence of photosynthesis, that is at night, affects greenhouse gas emissions to the atmosphere. Published in Nature Climate Change, the studies uh, by author William Riley demonstrates how to improve climate models to more accurately represent land biogeochemical dynamics. He and his team found that plants can uptake more CO2 and soils lose less nitrous oxide than previously thought. They imply weaker terrestrial ecosystem feedbacks with the atmosphere than current models predict. He says, this is good-ish news. New series debuting on ABC this winter, good-ish. Coal-fired power plants online or planned in Asia threaten efforts to curb emissions blamed for global warming, according to the head of the International Energy Agency. Coal-burning plants would lock in the emissions trajectory of the world full stop, Faith Birol told a, uh, the Financial Times this week. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed it is. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. There's a day. 
We had an exciting time here at the Lashodo, the New Orleans Lashodo, during all that because the lights went out. The music played on, the lights went out. Thought I was going to have to do the rest of the show by campfire, but no such luck. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. News from the old Orleans, Orléans. A French p- priest is facing trial there in the latest pedophilia case concerning the Catholic Church in France. And we haven't heard a lot about uh, what uh, what is going on in that regard over there. But uh, this this is this week's news on that uh, on that subject. Um, the city's former bishop in Orléans, Orléans, old Orléans, also faces charges for failing to report the case to the legal authorities, uh, and he failed to turn up in court. Abbe Pierre de Castellet has admitted sexually abusing boys at a Catholic holiday camp he was managing in 1993. The case came to light when one of the victims wrote to his then-bishop, André Four in 2010 after discovering that Castellet was still being put in charge of holiday camps for children. Ah, the French. Yes. Under the guise of medical examinations, Castellet touched his and other boys' genitals, said the victim. Four 
promised to send the Abbe for psychological examination and stop him working f- with young people. But a year later, Castellet's name was found on a list of speakers at a seminar on pedophilia in the church. Then uh, the victim wrote a letter to Fort's successor, Bishop James Blacard, who notified prosecutors. Castellet, now 69, confessed when he was questioned in 2012, saying, I did not realize the harm it could do them. Six men have said they were abused by him. Three of the six are civil plaintiffs in the case. Four, one of several bishops accused of hushing up abuses by priests, denies knowing that he had a legal obligation to report it to authorities. Who, me? What? Oh, uh, to do who, what with whom? Huh? But more, still more, or ever more. Quoth the raven, nearly 60 men who served as clergy in the archdiocese of New Orleans, that is to say New Orleans, who are now either deceased or alive, that would be the choice, have now been publicly named in connection with sexual abuse allegations against them. The Archbishop Gregory Amond released the names this week after weeks of speculation about whether he would publicly identify the priests or deacons, some of whom are deceased and admitted or have been publicly accused of sexually abusing a minor. The other men still alive and have either been removed from ministry or the final disposition of the allegation was the responsibility of the religious order. Many of the men served not just in New Orleans, but elsewhere in southeast Louisiana. They served at multiple religious institutions. So it's it's a gift from New Orleans to the rest of the state. And a Roman Catholic diocese, Fort Dodge, Iowa, they're not getting out of Dodge. They acknowledged this week they can concealed for decades a priest's admission that he sexually abused dozens of Iowa boys, a silence that may have put other children in danger. The Reverend Jerome Coyle, now 85, was stripped of his parish assignments in the 80s, but never defrocked. Stripped, but not defrocked. Pictures availed. No, and it was not until this week after the AP inquired about him that he was publicly identified by the church as an admitted pedophile, even even though the Diocese of Sioux City no, don't sue the city. No, the, the name has been aware of his conduct for 32 years. But, you know, it takes time to work up a plan of action. The diocese recently helped Coyle move into a retirement home in Fort Dodge without informing administrators at the Catholic school across the street. You see, another 32 years, they'll figure that out. In 1985, Coyle reported his history of sexual attraction to and contact with boys to Sioux City's bishop, revealing he had victimized approximately 50 youngsters over a 20-year period. Why, that's... No, don't, don't, don't count. While serving in several Iowa parishes. That's according to a private letter written in February by the diocese vicar general and obtained by the AP. No word from the vicar sergeant at arms. The diocese told the AP it never contacted police or informed the public after Coyle's admission. The diocese admits it could have been handled better, says the spokeswoman. She said the policies in place at the time did not call for notifying police or the public. I don't know who put those policies. You know, blame the policies, not us. We, yeah, we just, the diocese at the time announced without explanation that Coyle was taking a six-month medical leave of absence. And church officials transited him to a treatment center in New Mexico, where other accused priests nationwide were once commonly sent. You know, share tips. Coyle was stripped of his ability to lead mass and otherwise function as a priest, but he never faced further punishment and lived in Albuquerque until recently, retaining the title father and collecting financial assistance 
from the diocese. But now, for Father Coyle, they decide it's time to recoil. Thank you. News of the Godly, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about America's longest war. It's in the news again. The new U.S. general leading the mission there gave a surprisingly candid interview this week on the situation. Since taking First interview since taking command of resolute support. Attorney, uh, Army General Austin Miller said, this is not going to be won militarily. This is going to be a political solution. If you realize you can't win militarily, militarily, and I assess that the Taliban also realize they can't win militarily. At some point, fighting is just people start asking why, so you do not necessarily wait us out. But I think now is the time to start working through the political piece of this conflict. As of July, the Afghan government controls or influences only about half of the country's districts. That's the lowest level since the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction began tracking district control three years ago. The average number of Afghan government forces casualties this year is the highest it's ever been during the summer fighting season. The um, opium poppy situation is the biggest ever. The uh, summer fighting session season was also marked by a notable loss for Afghanistan's elite commando units who were routed in their defense of Ghazni City, less than 100 miles from the capital of Kabul. A um, Taliban infiltrator killed one of the most important generals in Afghanistan. The teenage assassin managed to get hired as an elite guard, slipping into government service with a fake ID and no background check. The New York Times reports it. They put him so close to the center of power in Afghanistan, he was just a few paces away from General Miller, the four-quoted commander of U.S. and NATO forces, when he suddenly started firing his Kalashnikov. This was a nightmare scenario for American and Afghan security planners, a Taliban operation months in the making that succeeded in breaching a high-level meeting, killing a powerful Afghan general as well as a provincial intelligence chief, wounding an Afghan governor and an American general, and barely missing General Miller. Near Afghanistan, the Pakistani cleric known as the father of the Taliban was stabbed and shot to death in his home outside of Islamabad on Friday amid ongoing violence in Pakistan days after a Christian woman was acquitted of blasphemy charges. It wasn't clear whether the slaying of Maulana Sami'ul Haq was related to the unrest. Nationwide protests by Muslim groups angered at a, pro- a ruling by the Supreme Court that acquitted a Christian woman on charges of blasphemy. Some protesters have called for judges to be killed. Aides to Haq said he had attempted to join the protests but returned home because the roads were blocked. Because the protesters were smashing and burning cars stranded on a ma- major highway is why. And a new report by the watchdog, the Special Inspector General, paints a discouraging portrait detailing continued Taliban gains, record civilian casualties by pro-government airstrikes and insurgent attacks, a disappointing performance by U.S.-funded anti-corruption agencies, and soaring drug production and addiction. Report casts a sobering eye on persistent setbacks in the fight against the Taliban and cumulative failures in the wars on corruption and drugs. You know, I bet it looks different over there. From Afghanistan Public Radio, home of the bottomless tote bag. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, 
The city that never naps. I'm Mahmoud. <laughs> and I'm Hamid. We're slip and slap. What happened, brothers? <laughs> Welcome to Cars I Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Afghan Boy Scouts, renewing our commitment to keeping the girls out. <laughs> <laughs> well, my younger brother, mm -hmm. it's getting cold. Yeah. Fighting season is over. Mm -hmm. And still fighting is going on. There's your climate change right there. <laughs> hey, truly, my dear younger brother, mm -hmm. I just think our Taliban brothers have figured out after all these years that the best time for surprise attacks is after fighting season is over. You mean... Yes, more surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on Karzai Talk. Hello, this is General Commodore Wisdom, longtime chief spokesman for Operation Resolute Persistence, uh, first-time caller. Well, welcome, caller. Uh, uh, did you say you were a general or a commodore? A little bit of both, sir. Mm. I'm a general, but my father was a great admirer of the Navy, so he named me Commodore. After uh, Commodore Perry, I believe. Mm, who was a Commodore. But not a general. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. He, he never forgave me for joining the Army. Commodore Perry didn't? No, sir, my father. Uh, thank goodness we got all that straight. <laughs> now, caller. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm calling to clarify some statements by our commanding officer that the press, in their understandable zeal to report accurately and quickly, may have gotten completely and tragically wrong. Oh, well, you must be referring to General Miller's statement that the war is not going to be won militarily? Yes, sir, that's correct. Even though... It's being fought militarily? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. That's the usual method practiced with uh, wars. Mm -hmm. But we in the uh, U.S. Spokesman Command uh, believe that it's very important to point out that General Miller never said that the war was going to be lost militarily. Which was, I believe, why he said it was going to be settled politically. Well, there again, sir, with all due respect, and even some that isn't exactly due, mm -hmm. the military component is going to continue to be uh, a vital... Uh, Component? Backbone oh. of any political process going forward. And there is no going backward. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's why the war has only lasted for 17 years. <laughs> if we'd gone backward, it could be going on forever. <laughs> well, that's a very good point, sir. Thank and it helps support the kind of, if not optimism, at least anti-pessimism that we at Spokesman Command would like to see occupying a larger portion of the public's awareness sector. No, that's the kind of occupation you like. <laughs> and, of course, even when a uh, solution is being achieved politically, mm -hmm. there's still a vibrant and active role for the more kinetic side of the mission equation. Exercise? Uh, no, sir. Kinetic and military terminological usagisms means uh, bombing and shooting type ops. Mm. Didn't that uh, definition at one time also include uh, rape and pillage type ops? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I think they began to be phased out of the manual a long time ago, uh, right after the Indian Wars were completed. Mm. So basically, Commodore, I mean, General, <laughs> you're just reassuring us that no matter what happens, the military will still have a role to play. Even if they don't uh, write the script in direct? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, sir, boiled down to its irreducible essentials, that is, in essence, almost a exactly what I'm saying, sir, and I appreciate your grasp-like handle on it. Well, his handle is one of his best features. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. What, uh, what do you say we take another one? Good idea. Otherwise, we're stuck in this awkward between-call situation with no pre-written quips on hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, exactly. Hello, you're on cars, I talk. Hello, this is Cooper, long-time Taliban operative, uh, first 
You ever notice how few repeat callers we have? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I notice how few repeat allies we have. <laughs> Hello, caller. Yes. You, you, you don't sound like a Cooper. Well, it's my Taliban name, uh, my real name. No, 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 no. Don't tell us your real name. Last thing we need is to be subpoenaed by the Attorney General. Uh, because he'd uh, make you bring in tapes of the, of the show? No, because he can't break a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was calling to explain how we, we are a new kind of gentler Taliban now that the uh, time for negotiations is obviously drawing near. Uh, you are referring to the General's comments we were uh, just discussing? Yes, and uh, as we prepare, it's important that people understand how we've evolved as a nationalist, fundamentalist, basically crazy-ass movement. Uh, well, wait a minute, caller. Cooper. You were people executed a surprise attack in which the Kandahar police chief was killed mm. and the American general you were just quoting barely succeeded in uh, escaping being killed himself? No, but in fairness, my brother, I don't think he would have quoted the general if he'd been killed. <laughs> That's good. Uh, he's right, uh, but Hamid, uh, the old uh, reckless Taliban, would have stormed into the building shooting and uh, killing a number of people on the way to our target. Because of the tight security around official offices? Because uh, we didn't at the time have uh, talented hackers among our brethren. Now you can listen in on their phone messages? Oh, we could always do that. I was... No, now we discovered they had a Wi-Fi connected to baby monitor on the premises. Somebody has a baby? In... They used them as uh, cheap walkie-talkies. Mm. Our brothers, who are now regulars at DEFCON, mm. hacked into the baby monitor, discovered the building's smart door lock, and disabled it. Uh, we walked right in, uh, did our business, and left. So you're saying less collateral damage? The Americans are always bragging about the efficiency of their bombs. Mm. We're now like that. Except you don't cost a million dollars apiece. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cooper, mm -hmm. this was a very useful glimpse of the new Taliban. Yeah, uh, we're kind of woke. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. We had up today from the Pakistani Intelligence Foundation. We gave the Taliban its father, but we're no mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Legal services for Carlos I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Luca. I'm Hamid. And I'm Mahmoud. Join us when Alexa automatically turns on the next edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. Now, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Mere hours after Kanye West denied any involvement with the Blexit campaign. This is a campaign uh, among black conservatives to exit from the Repub from the Democratic Party. Political commentator Candace Owens authored a blog issuing an apology to her rapper friend for any confusion that may have been caused regarding his fictional ties to the movement. Quote, if I had to imagine what it would feel like to have a bullet pierce my heart, it would be exactly like the moment I learned Kanye told the world he felt I had used him. I wouldn't wish the way I felt last night upon my worst enemy. I never once said that Kanye designed the T-shirts for Blexit. It's a lie I would like to again correct for the record. He was completely right to feel used in that regard. 
I'd like to publicly apologize to him for any undue stress or pain the effort to correct that rumor has caused him, his business relationships, or his family. He simply never designed them. The rest of the open letter contains an additional apology to uh, Donald Trump. Notice, by the way, that Kanye Trump's uh, Kanye West's tweets seem a lot more uh, cogent than when Kanye was in the Oval Office recently. Somebody else writing them, you think? Dateline Raleigh, North Carolina, Wake County mother says the boy who beat her son in gym class has apologized for her desire to bring change to how the district deals with violence in the schools isn't over. Ashley Williams Marble said her 16-year-old son, Wood, is recovering. After undergoing surgery, she said Wood's nose was broken in five places. The gym, the cafeteria, no, no. After he was beaten up last week. Still unclear whether he'll return to school. I think we had that apology last week. But always good to repeat him. Don't you think? The New York Police Department Commissioner James O'Neill apologized to a woman who came forward with a rape allegation in 1994 but was discredited by police, saying the department let her down in almost every possible way. He offered the woman his heartfelt apology for all aspersions cast upon your credibility by NYPD personnel those many years ago. She is African-American, had told police in April 94 that she'd been in Prospect Park when she was dragged into the bushes and assaulted. She gave authorities a detailed description, which was the basis of a police sketch, and DNA evidence was recovered. No arrests were made. A newspaper columnist, Mike McAlary of the Daily News, wrote at the time police sources cast doubt on the woman, saying she'd invented her story in an effort to gain attention around a speech she was going to give at a rally against anti-lesbian violence. She sued McAlary for libel. A judge dismissed the case in part because McAlary had been relying on information from the police. McAlary has since died. A man who was... Uh, who's, no, that's, that's not one we're going to do. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Here's our next apology. Jacksonville fire and rescue engineer under investigation over a questionable social media comment about a recent mass shooting apologized to the department and was issued a written letter of reprimand. Engineer Pat Schneider replied to a... Uh, TV channels post on the drive-by shooting, which wounded five men and one woman, saying, quote, about time, Jesus, it's been a week since we had a good shooting. Hashtag, gotta keep that street cred. Comment, which was later deleted, sparked outrage from viewers. The uh, fire chief, Kurt Wilson, confirmed Schneider wrote the post, and an internal investigation found the post violated the city's social media directive. Schneider issued the following apology email. I wholeheartedly apologize for my social media post, which was not intended to be sincere. My satire was not conveyed through the post the way I intended, and I offended numerous people. My intention was to show my frustration with the continued violence in the city that I serve. My thoughts and prayers are with the family and victims of this heinous crime and any other victims of senseless crimes in our great city. Unquote. Satire by Amateurs Department. Three-time Olympics champion Sean White has apologized to the Special Olympics community after a backlash over his choice of Halloween costume. Here we go with Halloween costume apologies. The U.S. snowboarder posted a picture of himself dressed as Simple Jack, a disabled character played by Ben Stiller in the 2006 movie Tropic Thunder. Sorry, 2000, yeah, 2006. 2008. Among those to criticize White was the Special Olympics itself. I owe everyone in the Special Olympics community an apology for my poor choice of Halloween costume, he said in a statement on social media. It was a last-minute decision, 
boy, I know that feeling. It was the wrong one. The Special Olympics are right to call me out on it. Tropic Thunder was condemned at the time of its release for its derogatory portrayal of the Simple Jack character. Vogue magazine is admitting it may have made a mistake. The magazine posted an image of Kendall Jenner. Oh, we're repeating ones here. Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Little Marco attacked a GQ columnist this week after the writer said on CNN she agreed a silent majority of President Trump supporters approve of or think racism is okay. The uh, senator pointed to the remarks from contributor Julia Yaffe as evidence that inflammatory rhetoric comes from the mainstream media as well and not just from the right. He also highlighted another remark she made on CNN for which she apologized that Trump was responsible for radicalizing so many more people than ISIS ever did. So she apologized for that. Tokyo Electric Power Company quickly learned that Twitter users find nothing lovely, endearing, or irresistibly cute about a damaged nuclear reactor building at Fook. The utility apologized after coming under fire for posting a tweet carrying the hashtag Love Factory. Ernie? Love Factory. In Japanese, along with a picture of the spent fuel pool, let's, go, let's all go to the spent fuel pool. What do you say? On the top part of the number four reactor building. That's... That's thoughtful and nice. You could clean it up. No, do, do a cute tweet instead. A former chairman of TEPCO apologized to victims of the nuclear disaster but would not acknowledge responsibility. I deeply apologize to those who died, their bereaved families, injured people, local people, and society at large, says Tunehisa Katsumata during a 33rd hearing of a trial at the Tokyo District Court. That's a trial of three TEPCO employees accused of professional negligence resulting in death and injury as a result of the disaster. So somebody's getting punished for something. Twitter has apologized for the way it responded to Rochelle Ritchie, a former congressional press secretary, when she first alerted it about an apparent threat made against her by mail bombing suspect Cesar Sayok. This tweet clearly violated our rules and should have been removed, Twitter said on Twitter. They used Twitter, calling it a mistake. We are deeply sorry that error. A uh, Twitter account by his name posted threats, criticized Democratic leaders, and uh, Twitter added in separate tweets, it is investigating what happened and will continue to work on how to handle concerns raised by users. It says Twitter wants to be a place where people feel safe, and we know we have a lot of work to do. Alamo City Comic Con, wouldn't you? Don't don't those words make you want to go? Organizers with that event in San Antonio issued an apology on Facebook for a costume that an MC wore during the event while hosting a cosplay costume contest. Have more cos 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 at Costco, maybe. The MC Travis Lara was dressed as the fictional non-human character Powerline from a Goofy movie and painted his face dark brown. No comment from Megan Kelly, but the Comic Con has apologized. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
You know, since this program is a, also a podcast, I want to tell you guys about a great new mattress. No, just kidding. But not kidding. A uh, An interview with my friend Derek Smalls and Andy Borowitz on this week's edition of the New Yorker Radio Hour is something you might want to check out in your spare time when you're not checking out that mattress that my family raves about. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time on the same radio stations and on your other audio device of choice whenever you want it. Isn't this a wonderful country? And it'd be just like checking out that mattress if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show, Chef Poe, to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, not an exile in Hawaii desks. Thank you as always to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address, I swear, almost no... You know who uses it? The Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. I get stuff from him. But it's you can use it, too. It's You can find it, along with the playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts to liven up your Thanksgiving dinner, all at harryshare.com. And I'm on Twitter, just like Twitter is, except I'm at the Harry Shearer. But listen, about that mattress, don't take my word for it. Don't take anybody's. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans. The show returns next week, as I say, and I'd love to have you aboard. And now stay tuned for some wonderful programming following right up on radio and whatever you're going to choose on your device. It'll be great, too.